Welcome to episode 75 of RSVP, the podcast about stationery and so much more. I'm your host, Dade, and my co-host is Les. Tonight, we're catching up with each other, but first, let's talk about what's new in our world. Les, it's been a while. Indeed, it has. What's it been, like four months, three months? Something like that. We did we did a couple of um, weird episodes at the beginning of all of this <laughs> through through Discord that yeah. I have to say that I did not like recording through Discord at all. No. Um, I love... I love just being able to chat through Discord with you, but yes. really dislike recording. Yeah, it just the technology's not there yet, I don't think, or it's it's there, but I don't have the time or energy to like figure it out. Mm. But yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I mean, one thing that we've been good at is consistently getting better at our audio quality, and I feel like those episodes kind of threw us back a bit. They did indeed. Um, so yeah, what's exciting in my world? Well, I'm just coming off of three months of, uh, graduate school. Um, it's been quite the adventure. I really, I had a love hate relationship with, with online schooling. I mean, I love the fact that I was able to literally wake up and just walk into another room and be at school. Like that was definitely a bonus. Mm -hmm. Um, I also save gas money, you know, I mean, I'm not that far from campus, but I'm far enough to where, you know, driving, you know, several times a week would have mattered. Um, but I found that, as I suspected, it was very hard for me to be engaged. And I often found myself tabbing out and like browsing the internet while being in class. And, you know, I think for anyone that's difficult, but I think for social work school, it's so important to be present and to be able to be present that like, I feel like there was a whole chunk of my education that I like missed out at. And, and so you didn't go to social work school, but you went to school to become a therapist. Um, yeah. So, you know, about like doing like role plays on -on one-on-one session stuff with your classmates. And like, we did that, but it's like, they're 3000 miles away in California and we're on a computer screen. Yeah. And so, you know, maybe for someone who's already a therapist, like switching to online process its own challenges. But like, I feel like as someone who's learning to be one, I need to experience things that you experience in person, you know, like maybe some uncomfortableness about my own body or like sitting in a space with somebody else and all those things that come to mind. So that was a challenge. Um, yeah, I could see that being really challenging. I I think I was, I, you know, I went to school several years ago and because of that, you know, I had the option of doing distance learning or in-person learning. And I just know from my own behaviors and attention or lack of attention that doing online learning for me just isn't, wouldn't have worked out quite as well mm -hmm. for the intensity of the program. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think social work school and, and going for, to become a mental health counselor, are very, very similar. Yeah, totally. Um, <clears throat> so I can't, I can't imagine doing like group theory, uh, through the distance. It was bad. Um, learning. <laughs> I, I could imagine. And then you pile on and I'm not going to totally fault them professors that don't know how to use the technology. And so like our group theory course, um, our professor, 
constantly struggled with like breakout groups. And so like we'd get disconnected completely or, you know, he couldn't figure it out. And so that takes away from time, um, but also just the experience. Yeah. And I, I, I cannot imagine. I know that the professors who did the, did the distance learning for my school were, uh, how do I say it? Knowledgeable about the technology, but they also did like, um, in the summer, they would do a one month long intensive series of sessions yeah. on campus. So they, they would, you know, one month of it would take place in person. Mm-hmm. So I can't imagine trying to replicate all of that. Um, and then the challenge of the technology when you have so many people who do this kind of work who are technophobes. So, right, right. And also, I mean, this was decided, you know, my school decided a month before to like make the final, final decision to be a hundred percent online. And so, you know, the, the nature of my school is, you know, these faculty would be flying in and living on campus to do in-person classes. But now all of a sudden, they're having to stay at home and learning to use technology and coming up with all this stuff in a month. And so I, you know, that's why I'm not too, too annoyed with it because we're in such a time that like we've never had this before. And so everything is new. So, mm-hmm. you know, and that, yeah. that's going to carry over into my field placement, which is in a high school. Um, and you know, that'll have its own set of challenges. I mean, getting a a high schooler to show up to school when it's online um, is going to be particularly challenging in a school district where kids have trouble showing up in person. So, but I think that's part of the challenge. So I'm looking forward to that. I really, so I wrote a blog post about this, so I'm not going to get too deep into it, but I definitely have not been using analog tools in the ways in which I thought I found that because I was dealing with zoom and I was dealing with PowerPoint and I was dealing with Google docs and all these things simultaneously, sometimes that having papers really took away from the experience, believe it or not. Um, I -hmm. bought, I bought a second desk for my office. So I kind of have this like L shape, configuration going on and even with extra space i didn't have space for like my laptop my ipad and papers and so i decided to make the switch to getting an ipad and an apple pencil and i felt so conflicted about this for so many reasons because i just this was like a betrayal of like my passion like i love stationary and here i am not using stationary and i was pleasantly surprised and so I'm not going to spoil it. You'll have to go to my blog. That's a way for me to advertise. Um, to, to see. <laughs> it's also just for time. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm pleasantly surprised. And I'm using my iPad right now. It actually comes in handy. I can look at the show notes while I have web pages brought up that allow me to have, like, you know, information for me to talk about stuff. So it's, like, it's nice to have. Um <clears throat> and so other things other than school, um, I actually just finished watching a six-part Netflix documentary called High Score. It's about the history of video games um, through the 80s and 90s. And I've seen many documentaries about video games, but this by far was one of the best documentaries I've ever watched, period. And then the best documentary on video games ever. Like... And so it really 
it it took you know obviously the development of video games in the you know 70s through the 80s but it really focused on the problems with the video game industry which is something that documentaries don't often do i feel like a lot of times when stuff is made about video games it's targeting the you know white male audience um, white cis male audience and this this actually had um the i learned so much but like you know the the world champion of Space Invaders, for example, is a trans woman, and she wasn't out when she won the tournament in the 80s, but like she talked about how video games allow her to be in a world in which she can be herself, and that was always her escape. And, and so I guess for me, I think I felt so connected because I've been screaming this to people that don't understand why I like video games so much, and like here it is, like in documentary form. Um, they also talked to a queer um, gamer who designed in the early 90s a game about, like, gay men. Um, it was kind of like a spoof parody kind of thing called Gay Blade. And it was, you know, it was hilarious. It was kind of like a mockery of, of like, first-person shooter Doom. I don't know if you're familiar with that. <clears throat> um, yeah, we, we, we played that. Yeah, so, like, there's that. And then also... Um, they really touched upon the lack of black representation in video games. And so I learned about a video game system I never heard about. Um, it was designed by a black man and it was the first video game system to actually take cartridges. And so, you know, here we are, you know, we think, oh, it was Atari that figured that out. And it really wasn't. Um, and so it spoke to those issues as well. And also there was a, a black video game designer that um, was brought on to a company and he was designing football games. And he's like, most football players are black, but like the default is white. Like, and at the time you could only choose one race for a character, which is a technological limitation. And so the next year that it was, it was um, John Madden football, all the characters are black. And it was the first time a video game had black as the default. And so it really does a good job of like digging into those issues. And, and I didn't want it to end. It was just so good. And so it's on Netflix. It's called high score. Um, and even for people that aren't gamers, it's just really interesting. I think it's a good way to, to give people a good, well-rounded history of, of video games. Um, and on that, um, I, bought a Nintendo Lego set, the limited edition Lego set that uh, is a replica of a Nintendo console. Oh, cool. Yes. Um, I haven't built it yet because it is massive. Um, the box is huge. It's like three feet long almost. Um, but it has almost 3,000 pieces. And I'll put a link in the show notes. It's sold out. I mean, now you probably can only get it on eBay for like hundreds of dollars. Um, so I have that waiting to be built. And I don't know. I've just been retro gaming a lot lately, just kind of decompressing from my semester. Um, so, yeah. And finally, just stationary wise, I've been using I found a gel pen that I really like the Zebra Sarasa uh, dry gel pen. Uh, I saw those at Walgreens. They had them on sale, and I almost picked up some to review, and I just I, 
I'm not sure why I didn't, because I love Zebra Sarasas, um, so I should have. And, like, you know, oftentimes when you see a pen advertising, like, smear-free or, like, fast-drying, like, usually that's not the case, um, this actually does dry immediately. And because I use notebook paper um, that is thicker, and Japanese notebook paper kind of, it's not very toothy, I would always smudge ink. This does not smear. Um, and so for lefties, it's a good option. Um, and, and yeah, it doesn't, it's just, it's just as smooth as the regular Sarasas. Um, it just dries quicker. So I recommend it. I'll put a link in the show notes, but that's really it for me. I mean, I have so much more, but, but that's just it in a nutshell. But what about you, Les? Oh, well, it has, it has been a really long time. It just, it feels like forever. And I had planned on recording with other people and I think COVID just, or like the work from home kind of thing, like, I was staring at a screen all day long and the idea of getting on and recording and staring at a screen for any additional period of time was just a lot. So one of the things I actually went, I will talk a little bit more about this later. I've been using a lot of composition notebooks and pencils and I'll dive into that when we, when we're doing the main topic here. Um, uh, actually yesterday, um, probably three or four days at, Previous to this being posted, I did a recording of a. I did a live stream of hacking the Epsara long point pencil sharpener and taking it from something that's already good for a twenty cent plastic pencil sharpener to something that is actually really nice and works really really well. Um, and so that that was a lot of fun for me. I mean, it only it took like an hour for me to do it. I had lots of technological issues. OBS won't work on my pizza box. Uh, it won't work at this. Well, it'll work, but not with DroidCam where I'm using my cell phone as a webcam. If I had a regular webcam, I think that it would have worked fine because I wouldn't have had that additional piece of software running between the two programs. It just would have accessed it directly. So that that was annoying. Um, and so and then the YouTube app, like you can't access your scheduled streams on your phone so the link that i had everything scheduled through wouldn't work through my phone which i then had to stream through so i had to start a whole new um stream that was very annoying um but in the long run it worked out um you were there you got to see it so that was cool i was it was actually really interesting um and i'm definitely going to try it I think the other the other aspect of what makes that particular hack useful is that you can also use it with other sharpeners, even short point sharpeners. If you have a pencil sharpener that's making a needle point that breaks off, you can just take a little piece of post-it note or several pieces of post-it note and stack them under the point end and give it a little extra room and you won't get those needle points anymore. So it's super helpful. Um, the other thing that's happened since the last time we talked, I got back into writing reviews and, and blog posts, which is something that I kind of let go of. I, I My blog ebbs and flows anyway, and I go through periods of time where I don't feel particularly interested in writing any sort of blog post. And so I had someone, I don't know who started it, but I, I have a Ko-Fi or coffee link on my blog and someone randomly um, – 
sent me some coffee through Ko-Fi. And uh, so I just took that money. I was like, all right, I'm going to go buy some composition notebooks. And I, I did the, you know, all the big box stores in my area. I hit Staples and Target and Walmart and then went to Walgreens. And I had some people actually, uh, Lisa from RSVP and a couple of our other stationary groups sent me some from Rennie's up in Maine. I've got to get that post finished. Um, so yeah, it's just been kind of like fun, like doing my composition roundup reviews. There was a lot of crap composition notebooks that came onto the market this year. Um, and the covers are like, um, the worst of the worst was from Jalapeno Paper Company, which is a kind of a cute little name for a paper company. I thought it was super cute and their covers are super cute. And it's by the same guy that does the design for decomposition notebooks. So I was really lulled in by the covers. They were so cute. I got octopuses. Um, they had avocados and other stuff. Um, there are a couple of other companies that had like flamingos and stuff on the covers. So really cute stuff, but really terrible paper. And some of the other stuff, like most of the stuff that was really good was like um, the Unison um, paper. But uh, we should do an entire episode just on composition notebooks because I don't think we've actually done one on here. I was on the Pen Addict and I did one and I also did a episode, I think, on Erasable about composition notebooks, but we've never done one on RSVP. We have not. So, so yeah, I think we should uh, we should delve deep on composition notebooks one episode i'm down sweet um and then um i did pick up a bunch of other back to school supplies i picked up some new pencils that i saw on the market um you can see those on my blog the statler essentials the paper mate ever strong which they're the they're you know, standard yellow school pencils, and they're both pretty terrible. The Everstrong, I really liked the branding on it. Um, but the lead itself was really, really hard, and it felt like a polymer lead, which I thought was weird, um, but also interesting. On some paper, it was really nice, like super toothy paper, really cheap paper. It was good, which makes sense if you're branding it as a school pencil. And it took a lot to break a lead, so... Um, there's that. Uh, I, I have a couple of reviews coming up. Um, one on the Frixian um, fine liners. And just as a word to the wise, don't buy them. They're terrible. Um, <laughs> my review goes into it much more deeply, but they just they feel cheap. They look cheap. They write cheap. They're just they're awful. Um, but the review will be coming up next week. I did my usual index card, um, like pickups. I found a few new ones. Mindology has some dot grid, um, index cards that you can get at Walmart. God, what else? Um, oh, I finally buckled down and I bought a Pentel carry. Nice. And it is my favorite mechanical pencil of all time. It looks great. It feels great. It just, I just, I wrote, um, I was working on one of my novels and I just used that for almost an entire composition notebook. It just felt so good to write with. Um, 
And I've been reading a lot too when I've been doing the work from home thing, which I'm going to talk more about um, probably in in contrast or probably in connection with online grad school experience. Um, so just reading a lot, like I've had a lot of um, time between calls where I was reading um, a book on trauma. I've been reading a lot of nonfiction too. So it's, it's just been a lot of reading time. Uh, so yeah, that's my, what's it's, Oh, um, and maybe we'll talk more about this, but I've got feelings about the black wing long point sharpener. I, I, I got it and I got one similar to Brad over at the pen addict. I don't know if anyone read his, uh, blog post about it. I know many people in the pencil world did, um, he initially did a review and it was terrible. Um, he had a, he got a terrible version of it. I also got a terrible version of it when I took the blade out. My, my blade had a big, um, blob of metal at the, uh, collar end. Yikes. And yeah, it was, it just, it wouldn't, it was sharp down at the point end. Um, and it didn't break the leads. It just made everything into a needle point and just it, everything was short and stubby. It was terrible. I tried um, grinding the blob off. I contacted Nick, and he sent me a new blade, and that made somewhat of a difference. But uh, it turns out that the Blank Wing Long Point Sharpener uses the same M&R blades as the Coom Masterpiece. And years ago, I bought 10 boxes of those. <laughs> Because they were like three dollars a box, so it's like, well, if I would rather pay that than, you know, buy three at a time for three bucks a piece from any other place. Right. I don't blame so you. So I put one of those on, and then and then I used a couple of pieces of Post-it note, like the Epsara hack, and now it's okay. Um, I don't. I have like sometimes I love it, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes I hate it. I find that it's not really. I don't see it as a long point sharpener. I see it as a concave short point sharpener or midpoint sharpener because it's not long, it's not short, short, but it makes a nice durable point that writes for about a page and a half. Um, and then it's just awkward to carry around. I mean, it's got a shape that looks funny in my pocket. <laughs> yeah, we talked about that. Yes. And so it looks like I'm really happy to see everyone. Um so I don't like carrying it in my pocket. I get lots of funny looks when I like go places and it's in my pocket. So I just, I, I don't, it's, it's become a paperweight on my desk for when I've got a fan going <laughs> so that, <laughs> so that my notebook isn't like blowing and flapping in the breeze when I'm taking notes on calls. So it's, it's just a, it's a really nice piece of desk bling that works okay. But I go into much more depth. Um, in my, in my blog post, which is, it'll, I'm still, I think I got like, it's not coming out next week, but the week after. So, mm. um, anyway, that's, that's what I've got. That's my new, what's new. What's exciting. Cool. we ready for catching up. Yeah, I'm ready. So we had talked, um, in our, in our, uh, brief, Actually, it wasn't that brief. We talked for quite a while uh, when we were when we were on the phone. Um, we briefly talked about talked about you know doing analog and digital work from home, 
things with COVID in terms of being at home and working, social isolation and being online. Um, so where do you want to start? I mean, I'm looking at our little main topics and they all kind of meld into kind of one big mm. topic. And yeah. so I, I think, you know, maybe talking – I always think about things as upside-down triangles, so broad to specific. Okay. Um, and so I think for me, the you know, when I we talked about recording this episode and I was thinking about topics, this – this whole working from home thing and in whatever capacity, school, work, um, or even just being quarantined at home, um, just kind of talking about that. And I like your, you know, in our notes here, let's put uh, weird COVID times, ebbs and flows of creativity. And, and I think I'd like to start there. Um, and just like the, I guess the broad impact of being at home and engaging with the world, through a computer for sometimes up to, for me, it was almost 12 hours a day on a busy mm. school day. Um, yeah. and so I guess talking about that would be a good starting point. So I think, I think for a lot of us, like, so I grew up in an era where being online wasn't something that happened, you know, like that was, Except for, I think, towards the tail end of high school where people were starting to email more. We finally had internet in our home. Um, you know, it was dial-up. And we were sending emails back and forth. It wasn't the same sort of online presence that we have now. But throughout my college years and shortly after I graduated, things online changed. So, you know, you had your instant messengers, um more like blogging started to be a thing that was more, done more often. And I was an early adopter of those things for the time. You know, I was emailing people when I was in high school. I started in instant messaging. God, what was the, I can't even remember the name of the instant messenger. I, ICQ. Yes. I was on ICQ in college. Um, and then once I graduated, you know, there was a large I don't know if it was necessarily large, but there was a group of lesbians that used ICQ and there was a website where you could get each other's handles and you could communicate with other people. And that was really, really important to me because I lived in a really rural area where there wasn't that kind of support network of people my own age. There was a support network. I think I've actually met, talked to you about this. Um, where I grew up, there was a mailing list, a literal, actual, physical mail mailing list called Lavender Letters. And it was like, it was a, you know, you get three sheets of lavender colored paper in a plain white envelope with your name on it. And it was like a newsletter that was detailing all of these like lesbian things that were happening all over the state of Maine. And, um, you know, I was, I started getting that after I graduated from college, but it didn't really have as much of an appeal to me because everything in it was for older people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I went to a couple of meetings and it was weird because some of the people were family members and they recognized me and I recognized them. And it was like, do we talk about this? Do we not talk about this? Um, so it was, it was, it was just a very different time. So for me being online and, having communication through both email and instant messenger and um, my blog was something that 
was very, very important. So in a way, I see some of this online stuff that we're doing for work from home as sort of a return to the things that I did when life was more rural, more distant, and it feels like the same sort of connection that I had back then with a lot of different people. But it also feels different because it's all new technology compared to what I was using back then. Like there were very early stages of um, some web camera stuff, um, but it was super grainy. Everyone, a lot of people were still on dial up or the other, the other form of internet access through a phone line that I can't remember what the, can't remember the acronym for it. DSL? Yes, no, not, DSL. Yeah, D DSL, um, which, you know, a lot of people where I grew up still use DSL. Um, <laughs> so it's, um, and I used it down here for a long time because it was significantly cheaper. But um, it just, you know, it it's so different because I can have an actual conversation with someone through the camera on my phone or on my laptop and see them, which... It's interesting because I have that past history of doing instant messenger, doing VoIP and doing all of those things. I don't necessarily need the visual connection. Um, and it's something that in terms of work from home and actual work, I have arguments with people about or link. I shouldn't say arguments, lengthy discussions, because <laughs> I don't necessarily see that the visual aspect is necessary. And so a lot of therapists, a lot of counselors will like, well, I have to see someone's for, like visual affect. It's like, well, how do you explain my coworker who is blind? Like she's not there feeling people's faces to get an idea of what their affects like. She does it through her ears. Um, and I'm not, I'm not arguing that visual cues aren't important. I think they're very important, but if we're just talking about having connection, with someone, the visual aspect may or may not be as important as it's led to, we're led to believe. The other side of that is also I'm a visual artist saying, hey, visuals aren't necessary, <laughs> you know? Uh, so, it, I don't know, it's an interesting thing, this whole, like, strangeness in, in these weird COVID times. No, totally. Um, and I agree with... Um not agree. I can relate to your early use of technology for community, you know, as mm -hmm. we're semi-similar in age. Um, you know, I, I didn't have community. There wasn't community really for queer people um, that was mm -hmm. in the open. So being online actually was one of the few ways I was able to connect with people like me. Um, yeah. And so there was this website. I'm going to see if it's still around. Um, it was called, I think it was called like Technodike. <laughs> um, it was like this website. It was, it was basically, it ran around like a forum. So that was the main focus. Um, and it just was like, it was queer centric for primarily like obviously queer women. And it was a way for me to not just interact with people I didn't know, but local people also were on this forum. And so it was just a way to like, I don't know, 
just be present in my world. Um, it's still there. I will put the, the, uh, the link in the show notes. Um, but yeah, uh, sadly their forums are closed down. Um, but still it's a blast from the past. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but no, I, I think for me, like being online, um, and interacting with people, um, and just thinking, you know, when you were talking about noticing like affect on a person, thinking about like my own therapy and the ways in which I struggle with making eye contact. Cause you literally can't. Yeah. Um, cause you know, if I'm looking at my therapist eyes, she's like, I'm, I'm looking at a screen, but she's not looking at my eyes. Cause if she looked at my mm-hmm. eyes, she, uh, it was just as weird. <laughs> so I, I think, you know, that definitely, I've definitely been impacted with the lack of human connection, which for me is something I never thought would happen because I enjoy yeah. just being alone a lot of the time. And so it, it definitely has impacted my ability to, I guess I'm trying to think of how to describe it. So I already had an issue with sticking with something for, for a a long period of time. Mm -hmm. This, these times have heightened it. So I find myself like fluttering between many different things at once, like just hobbies. Like I'll be playing video games and I'll play for a couple hours and then I'll get bored and then I'll go play something else or I'll go read a book or I just, I can't, I can't be present for a long time. And, and I'm wondering if that is the effects of being engaged electronically so much. Mm, yeah, I, I wonder. So interesting. This is one of the things that um, my morning pages have really helped me kind of track in terms of my emotional self and my attention span throughout this. And one of the things that I noticed is that early on, I was like, yeah, this is the greatest thing ever. I'm just at <laughs> home. I'm doing my work. I roll out of bed late. I go downstairs. Maybe I'm wearing pants. Maybe I'm still <laughs> in my boxers. Um, and, and, you know, like, I don't have to worry about putting pomade in my hair. I just pull it back into a little filthy bun thing and no one can see me because when I was first doing work from home, it wasn't using video therapy. So it was just me on a company cell phone calling people and then also calling people on, um, you know, through Google Meet. So we weren't using the video aspect of that. So um, what I noticed is that I had this first period of like, this is the greatest thing ever. I'm so relaxed. This is so amazing. I love it. And then that shifted once I got used to it. We also had some like work crap um where we're, they're like we're gonna go back, back to work and they're like nope sorry no we're not um so there was this like we're, we were planning for things that never happened um so i think that had a big effect too because we did a lot of planning and then that planning was all just a big fat waste of time yeah um and so what i found was that around six weeks or so my attention span became decreased and I don't know if it was like heightened anxiety because mm-hmm. I'm not sure it had to do so much with being on screen all the time because around that same time, I was also on screen less. So, yes, I was doing my notes. I was doing my work, but also I would just literally shut it down mm-hmm. and make my calls over the over my cell phone. 
Yeah. Um, so it was just, I, I was not able to concentrate on anything. And I, I did some recording of manuscripting pod where I talked about this. I'm like, I'm doing so great. I'm writing. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm getting all the things done. My commute's gone. And then all of a sudden it's like, I just don't feel like doing anything. Yep. And, and I, I did. I found that I would, I, I would be on calls with people and I would find myself unintentionally completely zoning out. And it's like, shh, crap. <laughs> um, I have to try not to try to make your editing easier. Yes. Um, it, it, because you can't be like that in therapy. You can't zone out in therapy. No. It's, you know, you're there, you're being paid to like intentionally interact with these people. But the thing that I also noticed is that my clients also didn't want to be on the phone with me for 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. I had people around that time period, you know, at the 15 minute mark, they're like, can I go? I'm done. I got nothing else to do. I've been doing the same crap for the last six weeks. Yeah. I'm done. You know, so so I think that it, it's there's something about social isolation. And I'm wondering if that it had more to do with that, because as much as I am an introvert, I also like being around the people that I like um, quite a lot. You know, I, I go out of my way to spend time with the people that I like. Mm -hmm. um, and, and talk to them on a regular basis. And, you know, that wasn't happening either. You know, like the people that I might necessarily like that I might text with regularly, I wasn't doing that. So how much of it is the social isolation aspect of it? And how much of it is also being online and present online and being on the phone? Um, right. And I, I feel like, <clears throat> I feel like for me, there's a lot of things going on, and ironically, I'm excited about researching this, but I also am affected by the fact that I'm not engaged in wanting to go find the research. But I, I think about how generally, just subtract the technology part of this, just the time that we're in. I know for me, um, personally, it's really impacted my anxiety level, Um to the point where, like, I've had a lot more days where it's just I need to be gentle with myself and realize that I'm not going to be able to do anything um, besides normal everyday functions. Like, I can't do any extra. Uh, and I think that, you know, depression has been a thing. I always wanted to go to grad school, and I feel like my opportunities in grad school my first year were kind of not what I wanted. And so that's depressing. And also I had planned on doing this amazing like travel experience before grad school of going to New York and going to New Jersey and going to Philadelphia and seeing family and friends and going shopping and doing all those fun things. And I couldn't do that. So this summer has been filled with a lot of disappointment mm. and a lot of anxiety yeah. And so what do I do when those things are happening? I fall back on what is easy for me and what I know, and that's engaging in online gaming. It's engaging with the internet. And I think that it's this like feedback loop that just perpetuates itself. So it's like, oh man, I need some serotonin. Let me just go get some because it's quick and it's easy. 
But what's happening is it's just causing more disconnect because I'll find myself, I get into these weird black holes of like, oh, let me check Facebook and I'll watch a Facebook video, but then you watch the next one and then you watch the next oh, one yeah. and yeah. You, you're there for an hour and you're like, what just happened? And, yep. you know, so yeah, that's where I'm at. I, I got to a point with that, um, with the doom scrolling yeah. that I had to uninstall the Facebook app and the Twitter app from my phone. Mm-hmm. Um, I also um, deleted all of the links out of my Chrome and Firefox to Facebook and Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I only access them in ways that I don't like. So I access them on my phone via the um, via Chrome on my phone, which is pretty much the worst user experience for either option. Um, and I'm actually at a point now where I've kind of broken myself of that doom scrolling cycle. So what I was finding myself around like week six to eight of this whole thing was I I would be laying in bed at night thinking, well, I don't have to get up until seven o'clock because I don't have to start working until eight thirty or, you know, might not even get out of bed until eight. Um, I would find myself laying in bed just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling video after video after video or, you know, watching a lot of stuff on Twitter Mm -hmm. that. Just what it would, I would stop looking at it and my anxiety would be through the roof and I wouldn't sleep well. Yeah. Um, and it was all because that I was, all I was doing was getting that feedback loop of horrifying news and mm-hmm. horrifying information through Facebook and Twitter. So getting them off my laptop, getting them off my phone and only allowing myself to access them in ways that I, visually hate and find difficult means that I don't access them as much anymore. Right. Um, so I might actually like put the app back on my phone and see what happens to see if, um, I feel comfortable enough to not doom scroll anymore. But I, I definitely like you found that really affected my, my mental well being. It was just so distressing. Yeah. And I think I always try to find the, the silver lining of these dark clouds. And I think one thing that it's really helped me notice are what impacts me and the way it, it, the way in which it impacts me. And so Mm -hmm. before pandemic times, I would very often find myself in therapy saying like, I don't know why I'm anxious. Like I I have no idea. Like, Mm. and my therapist is like, really? Like, think about it. You know, like (laughs) I'm like, I don't know. I just like woke up and now it's like, like last week, Gina and I watched all day. We had one of those days where we just like didn't do anything all day. We mm-hmm. watched um, true crime shows. Like, oh, God. <laughs> like Snapped, like where the woman goes crazy and kills somebody because that's a thing. That they, mm-hmm. um, all these like intense like murdery shows. And in the moment, it's fascinating to me because I'm fascinated with human psychology and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And I go to go to bed at like two in the morning because my sleep schedule's totally messed up. And I'm like so anxious, like I'm so revved up and I'm so like, it, it, it's just my intrusive thoughts are just happening. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, oh, maybe because I spent eight hours watching true crime with people murdering <laughs> each other. Like, and so it's, it's a lot, it's given me space to kind of really sit and analyze 
why I'm mm. feeling the way I'm feeling. And so I think on the other side of this, whenever it is, I'll have a better understanding of how I work. And also, even though it's been harder, I've been much more assertive about telling people and telling myself when it's time for me to step back mm-hmm. and when I've had too much. And so instead of the usual, you know, I didn't get much done today and then me mentally berating myself because I'm lazy or whatever story I tell myself, I say like, we're in the middle of a pandemic and I've been in the house for three months and the country's on fire. If you happen to live in the United States. And so, you know, when I, you know, I I make a point to watch the news every day because I like to know what's going on in my world. But that's just so heavy, especially Mm. these past few days and these past two weeks. And and yeah, it's just I don't know. I've I've gotten better at just disengaging and not feeling bad about it. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. I feel like it's been really heavy. Um, It's strange, too, because my sort of social isolation ended at the beginning of August, sort of. Um, I was always going into the office two days a week, so Wednesdays and Fridays most of the time. Sometimes I just wouldn't go in on Friday because I didn't feel like it. And it wasn't a requirement. I was going in because we had fish uh, that needed to be fed and taken care of, and I would have felt terrible if the fish had died uh, and I lived only four miles away and also all of the plants needed to be watered. So um, I was always going in for those two days a week. And then at the end of July, they ordered us back into the office and I have thoughts and feelings about that, um, but we're not actually having clients in yet. It's just staff. Mm-hmm. And so it's just been three of us um, in there and it's really strange. Um, we sit in this giant room and eat lunch like 12 feet away from one another because <laughs> we're not wearing masks <laughs> mm-hmm. and we don't have dividers. Um, but it's, it's just a really strange experience to be, cause I have my own office mm-hmm. and when you're in your own office with the door closed, you don't have to wear a mask. But when we are, In outside of our office, we have to wear a mask. If you go into the kitchen, you have to wear a mask. Mm -hmm. And so I I find myself like treating it almost like it was I was at home. And for when I was going in on Wednesdays and Fridays, um, (laughs) um, we have a projector set up with like a really nice set of um, Dolby speakers. Uh huh. And so on my lunch break, I would watch whatever TV show I was binging at the time. <laughs> so, so like I'd be in there eating my lunch, watching something like projected, like I'm in a movie theater. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so I, I might actually start that up again. I've been wanting to rewatch Killing Eve, but I don't think that's really workplace appropriate. <laughs> um, although I think my two coworkers would be into it. Um, but <laughs> it's just such a like strange thing. So anyway, like now I'm around, um, three other people, um, but socially distanced and, and it's weird. It's, it's really strange. Um, so I'm not feeling as socially disconnected. It also helps that my coworkers and I we're close. We're a really tight knit group. Um, so it's, it's really nice to be around people who share the same values and where I'm connected. And I think that has helped a lot in this last month. I felt so much better mentally. Um, in the last month than I have over the last six months. Yeah. Um, 
but the other side of that is I'm still, you know, most of the time for, you know, I'm there for eight hours a day for probably seven of those eight hours. I'm by myself in my office chatting with my coworkers who are closed in their offices Mm -hmm. via instant messenger um, and talking to people via email. And now I'm doing video therapy. I'm doing online teletherapy. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, it's still like, even though I'm in the office, I am online and I'm experiencing much of the world online. Whereas in my before times, before COVID times, um, you know, I did group therapy. I would be in a room with 15 other people interacting and talking about, you know, emotions and uh, CBT and DBT and all of this other stuff. Um, and, and it's just a very, very different work experience. And I find myself enjoying it a little too much because my, my natural tendency when I'm not feeling well is to isolate. Mm-hmm. Same. And is to pull away from people in an interactive manner. And I know that about myself and I've done this for my entire life. This is not, this is not a new thing for me. Um, so I find myself really, really liking this and also very aware of like, this is not particularly healthy for me as a human being. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, it's been really fascinating. Uh, the other aspect of it is, and I'm going to delve, I'm going to go from the like weird COVID times and delve into analog and digital. So my workplace is 100% digital. Um, we are a paperless office. Um, all of our interactions are, all of, all of our records are e-health records. If I send a letter to a client, I have to then put it into a folder where it gets scanned and then it's shredded. Um, so everything is just stored in the cloud. Um, and I won't talk about our software because it irritates me. But beyond that, like, so everything that I'm doing is online. So we're now in the process of planning what does a day treatment center look like when it's online? And, and the insurances are saying that we have to do one thing. We're saying we'd like to do something a little different. And so there's this like sort of fight between the two groups about what does this look like? What do we want to do? And I just found myself thinking, okay, I have to plan this out. And after I had signed up for the groups that I want to run, I basically said, I'm not, I'm not doing my planning online and I just grabbed a legal pad and a cheap pencil and started like I just wrote the list of the groups that I signed up for and then flipped to the next page started planning out the first one in bullet points then flipped the page started planning out the next one in bullet points because at this point you know I've been running groups for a really long time so I know how to and it's a lot like writing your curricula for a class like I know on on day one, I'm going to cover this. On day two, I'm going to cover this. On day three, we're going to hit this. Um, and I know roughly how I'm going to structure each group. We're now, I'm going to start out with an introduction. I get to know you. Then we're going to go into the topic. We're doing an introduction. Then we'll hit the topic. And then we'll have discussion. And they'll be back and forth for the last 15 minutes or so. And then, you know, the, then the final five minutes will be a wrap-up. And then we're, we're done. So I know that that like this is what the structure of my group's going to look like. I don't have to write that down. All I have to say is 
day one, this topic, day two, this topic. So I just found myself saying, I'm not, I'm not doing digital for this. I'm going analog with it, but then I have to then take those notes. And so the other aspect of what we're going to end up doing is when we're doing an online group, how do I share handouts with people who might be doing this group on a cell phone, not on a laptop, not on a tablet. Yeah. And so I'm going to end up having to take, so I ended up doing a like Google slides. Mm-hmm. So I ended up doing slides for one of my groups and I'm like, hell, I'm going to have to make this into a PDF and I'm going to have to mail this, not email, but physically mail this to a bunch of the clients so that they can have it when we actually start running these groups. Yeah. Uh, and so there's this, like, and that's the other side of this too, is I hear a lot of people talking about, well, you know, when you're running a group, you have to have people have the camera on. And I'm like, well, what about my clients who have limited data um, mm. or or who have a data plan that's unlimited, but it starts to throttle down after so many megabytes in a day? Yeah. And we're going to have them online for four hours a day doing audio and video live. So we're going to do synchronous therapy. And like the idea that some of these people, they're just not going to be able to do it. it um but I'm, I'm going off onto a tangent. So anyway, I'm going to have to combine the analog and digital forms while I'm running these groups. But I'm also finding myself, because I'm online so often, withdrawing from it. So like in terms of like my creativity, my novels, I, I found myself like midway through the pandemic. So I just I can't be creative when I stare at this screen. Because normally, you know, like I have my pizza box and I would sit in the living room with my partner on the other couch and, you know, we'd have music going and I'd be writing my novel while I was sitting there and, you know, I'd stop and then we'd chat and then the dog would come up and want to cuddle. And I just found that that was not working. Um, so I just started grabbing composition notebooks and pencils and just start writing. So it, 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 there's, I don't know. I think it's a, for me, it's very much a reaction to being online so much is that I am pushing towards the analog because it fits with what I'm doing in that moment. And now that I'm at a point where, you know, my digital online stuff is happening at work and not at home, mm -hmm. I am finding that I'm feeling more creative when I get my pizza box out, my, my laptop. <laughs> I love that you call it that. The pizza box. Is, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's like it's pretty much a pizza box with keyboard t uh, drawn onto it. It's about as powerful. <laughs> yeah. No, you bring up a lot of really good points and a lot of things for me to think about. Um, like when you talk about group therapy and requiring people to be on camera. I know that in the upcoming you know school year that the high school actually is going to require kids to be on camera that is uh so frustrating especially for, the school that i know that you're going to be yes at. um it's low income right and so they're trying to sort it out so my supervisor does not agree with it like this is what this is the construct that's in place probably in so many high schools where the mental health support team is in constant conflict with administration um 
but they're saying at least for homeroom then they've budged a little bit because we need to make sure that the the child is present but with zoom you can phone in you can call on your phone you can Mm -hmm. you know and they're using google classroom actually i think um and so like there's there's other ways to to do this and so i think about one of my roles is to create a group and and do group work and what that's going to look like and you know, I had all these ideas before I knew we were going to be only online and, and, and yeah, it's like, you know, running a group in person, it's very easy. You have a stack of paper, you pass it out, you pass some pens, pencils, whatever out, and people have a thing to engage with. But when you're, when you're doing things online, um, and doing things with people that, that only have a phone, for example, how are you going to have the same kind of effective engagement with that person? Right. Um, and I think Zoom, I, I'm going to try to experiment with this because I have an iPad. Zoom lets you screen share, but then also like right on the screen. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking of the different ways in which that can be done in a group setting. And mm-hmm. so I, I haven't run formal like psychotherapeutic group before but i've i've run groups before with teens or whatever and like one of the things that like you know they always like to do was to build like mind maps or like you know brainstorm and do things and it was such a live document and so thinking of different ways to engage um is just something that i've been thinking about as you've been talking yeah um because like so what are you gonna have to do are you gonna have to create like are you gonna have to think ahead and be like, okay, so the next month of groups, these are the handouts that I'm going to use. So let me get them together now and mail them to the client. Or are you going to mail them every week? Like, it's complicated, I guess, right? Well, so in the case of, of the groups that I'm running, um, f- we're doing a six-week trial period. Okay. I am planning ahead for those six weeks. And I'm going to do a mailing at the start for every client enrolled in a particular group, they're going to get all of the paperwork for that whole six week period. For, so for a two month period, okay, that's what they're going to get. So we'll we'll see how it works out. I know that some people won't get their mail, some people won't open their mail. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that well, that's a huge problem when you're running a mental health group, whether it's online or not. So you know, you, you send things out, and like you don't get a return on your on your like postage because because people just don't open their mail like we sent out consents for release to people for them to do online group therapy and we sent out 40 of them and i think we got 15 back so (laughs) you know i I mean it's just it's a it's a mental health thing you know and it happens whether it's online therapy it's in-person therapy it's individual therapy it's group therapy people don't open their mail um, I don't open my mail, like unless I, I do. Unless it feels like it has a credit card in it, or um, looks like it might be a check, because uh, most of it's junk. But yeah, well, I throw out all the junk, and you know, like we make sure that people know that they're getting mail in advance. So it's I don't know, it's an interesting thing. Well, also, um, you think about community mental health and the amount of folks that are houseless and mm-hmm. how that looks, you know, they don't have an address. Um, so yeah. In our case, they have to have like a- some sort of address and, and, you know, many of the people are referred from the shelters. So mm-hmm. their mail goes to the shelter 
And then there's often a delay between when the shelter receives it and when they hand it off to the person because of staffing issues. Exactly. So it's it's just it's such a pain in the butt. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not fun at all. But it's there's just I think there's just a lot of planning that goes along with like this combination of analog and digital, but also sort of my reaction to being so digital and the lack of in-person contact with my clients because it's just it's not something I'm accustomed to. Yeah, as someone who you know is obviously still learning in in ways that I want to interact with people, you know, I found myself drawn more towards like a more narrative relational style. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard um to practice those things. I mean, narrative, sure, that's one mm-hmm. thing. But, like, to really be present and, like, so much of, like, <clears throat> so much of what I, you know, want to do with folks is just be there for them and be there with them and feel the mm-hmm. moment. And I can't, I can't do that. Like, I can intellectually feel the moment, like, but I can't, there's, I don't believe in the hokey, like, we all have energy that surrounds us. <laughs> But, like, <laughs> there is definitely a feeling in a room when you're with somebody else. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but but going back to the analog and digital part of it, um, <clears throat> you know, for me, I'm an all or nothing thinker. It's a problem. Um, mm-hmm. I'm very, you know, black and white thinking. Um, and I think that letting go of that concept has helped me do analog and digital at the same time. And so you brought up a good point of like, you know, your work's all online and digitally done, but you still grabbed a notebook and, or a legal pad and just did what you had to do because there are so many times I'm finding, you know, even now, like I had, I have several meetings and I always hand take notes for many reasons. And that's the, that's the one place where I don't think I'll ever lose my analog like desire to be analog because I find if I type notes, I don't remember them. But if I'm handwriting notes, I do remember them. And so, you know, I've definitely, you know, I have a notebook and I use a pen or a pencil and, and it's a way for me to, you know, be analog. And then what I do is I take a picture with my iPad, convert it to a PDF, and then I just store it digitally and it, it works. And so I'm thinking of different creative ways that I can marry the two and mm-hmm. use them together as opposed to using them as opposing forces. Yeah. Um, you know, but, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely a struggle. And I definitely feel like I learned nothing over the past three months from school because I, I don't even like remember some things, you know? Yeah. But I, I think that that is grad school in and of itself, if that makes sense. Because I, I know that my first year of grad school, when I got done, I kind of just wanted to stare at the wall um, because it was almost information overload um, in terms of how much I had read, how much I had learned. And it, it was just so much. Right. And, yeah. um, 
I think that right now, because you're not actually putting it into practice, it's, it's like, how do I remember this crap? Yeah. And then you're going to get to a point next semester where you're going to start using that crap. Mm -hmm. And you're going to be like, okay, I did absorb this. I did get something out of that class. Right. It wasn't right. just a waste of my time. And I think that's like because you're not practicing it right now, it, it doesn't seem as relevant or as if you're re retaining it. Totally. Um, and I don't necessarily think that's that's a digital versus analog or in-person versus online experience thing i think it's just about information overload at least in part i'm not saying it's not one or the other but i mean it's it's got to be a combination of just the drastic amount of information in right. addition to everything else because there, there were so many styles of information so there was the information that i was getting that i didn't need to spend time on the because i have an undergraduate degree in psychology so mm -hmm. a lot of that stuff i kind of like all right cool i know about that already but then there's the stuff that i knew about but i didn't work with or was familiar with and that was the more mm -hmm. therapeutic interventions and that kind of stuff and then there's the stuff that really kind of flips things you know the theory um mm -hmm. And so you're right. I, I have yet to, you know, even maybe two or three months into my field placement, I'll probably feel a lot differently. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you're right. I don't think it's a analog or digital problem. I think it's just a thing, a general problem, especially the program that I'm in. We did 10 courses in three months. Yeah, that's a lot. Wild. It's a lot. Yeah. And I also think yeah. it's it's a lot different than, say, like the program that I did where I had a field placement in my first year. Mm -hmm. Um, did I? No, I didn't because I did it in three years. So m most like I had a field placement in my second and then my third year because I decided to do it in three years mm -hmm. instead of just two. Um, so it becomes really different when you're starting to apply some of the more theoretical stuff as you're, you're practicing. Yeah. I mean, I just keep with the, you know, I, I keep telling myself mentally, just be good enough. You know, it's kind mm -hmm. of an industry thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I hate this one, but it's kind of true. Like, don't work harder than your client. Yeah, but that that's also something it, that comes into play as you're working. Because right. so you if you if you work harder than your client, then you get burnt out. Mm -hmm. And also... If you're working harder than the client, the client isn't taking anything out of the session. Right. So. But yeah, so, I mean, we shall see. I mean, I have another week off until I start my... Where was your first field placement? I, my first field placement was at a elder day program. So I did, um, I worked with elders with early stage dementia, Alzheimer's and physical limitations, mm. um, who were also generally for the most part, low income and needed enrichment, um, to maintain staying at home. Mm. Um, so it was, it was a delight actually. I, <laughs> I miss working with elders a lot. Um, there were wild times, uh, <laughs> But I also got to do therapy with people in a wide range of sort of 
states. Like I got to have therapy with people who had trauma. I got to, and also um, a lot of the elders that I worked with had uh, major mental illness as well. So, you know, I got to, I got to meet elders with schizophrenia, Mm -hmm. which is unusual. You don't always meet people who make it past a, you know, 60 or 70 with schizophrenia. Um, and I got to work with people with dementia and schizophrenia. I got to meet, meet and work with people who, um, they had medication related psychosis. Um, so it was, it was a really fascinating, um, uh, placement. And then I also, during that time I had, I was able to spend some time on the lock unit. Um, so people who had more advanced dementia and Alzheimer's. So, Interesting. Yeah. And it was because I also knew from the get go that I wasn't going to work with kids. So, you know, me going and working in a school setting would have been not beneficial for my career. Hmm. Yeah, I I don't know. I didn't think that I would. You know, we don't have a choice in our field placement, at least first year. And when I was put in high school, I was really disappointed because I don't mm-hmm. I don't want to work with kids. Like, period. Um, But I've also worked with this cohort before in a way. Um, I worked at the high school last year, and it is rewarding, and I think I do have a lot to offer. I'm still believing that, trying to believe that. But, but yeah, we'll we'll see how that goes. Um, Mm. So any other, like, things we want to catch up about or talk about this whole work-from-home covid topic i I think we i think we kind of kind of hit a lot of the the high points and the low points (laughs) yeah um and um no i don't i don't think that there's a whole lot more that we can explore here i think um you know hopefully we record again in a couple of weeks and Mm -hmm. chat more yeah i'm a little rusty at this whole podcasting thing so (laughs) i'm trying to get better get back trying to get better about my ums so part of my grad school experience was recording sessions and then transcribing them Mm. and i use um as a filler so much so Mm -hmm. yeah anyhow um all right so um you know as always i want to just thank everyone for their support and supportive words on the facebook group and on our website it's really good feeling to know that people actually listen to us and care about what we have to say and also just how much everyone participates in the community you know we haven't put out an episode in in such a long time and people are still engaging with the facebook page on a daily basis and i like that it's become this place where people you know like broach topics sometimes that are stationary related but they're also a little tangential kind of like that's our mantra here um you know, and, and so that's been really nice to have those kind of conversations. It's just it's a nice bright spot in in my online life and world. Um, and so, you know, if you do like us and want to support us, the best way to do that is to just let other people know about our show. And, you know, whether that's through sharing a link or word of mouth um, and also just, you know, you don't have to. But like rating us on your um, whatever way you listen to us in iTunes, you know, type up a little rating, what you think of us. It doesn't have to be five stars. It could be, I, I prefer honesty. Um, so yeah. Um, 
So you can find us online at rsvpstationarypodcast.com. There will also be a link to our Discord channel, which has been a bit quiet. Um, you can find me, Dade, at weeklypencil.com, and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Weekly Pencil. Les, what about you? You can find me at comfortableshoesstudio.com, Facebook at Comfortable Shoes Studio, Instagram and Twitter at Original LC Harper. All right. So until next time, Les, it's, it's been fun. Indeed it has. <laughs>